After their frantic search concluded and the police seemed convinced of what had happened, Ray's family was left to piece together the evidence and determine for themselves what killed their beloved family member. How did he access the roof? How could he have created that hole? And who was with him when it all came to an end? This week's episode is Ray Rivera, Part 3. Up, bump in the night, your heart fills with dread. Probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. I'm gonna kill you. Well, the nightmares continue. Oh, yeah. With this case. Because I know, don't you have falling nightmares or like height nightmares? Yeah. That wasn't even it. Now that I say it, I don't even remember exactly what it was about, but I remember waking up and being like, I got to get this case out of my head. (laughs) It's it's infiltrating. I literally woke up the other night at like 3 a.m. And I'm not joking. For the next two and a half hours, I laid in bed thinking about what could have happened. Wow. And I was like, this is too much. I <laughs> like the cops probably aren't even thinking about this this much. They clearly nope. They closed clearly, the case. They closed yeah. the book on it in two thousand six. They so decided fourteen pretty quickly what they decide what they thought had happened, but Yeah. Um I'll say I'm not married to any I think there's holes in every single theory, no mm-hmm. pun intended. Yeah. And while I do think there is a more plausible scenario um i've gone over everything in my head a million times and there's nothing that i'm like a hundred percent confident this is what i think happened that's kind of the conclusion i came to after i made my theory matrix that every single one there's still some hole like there's still some like gap in the logic and reasoning yeah i have not been having dreams about it but i just pepper our conversations with it and paris will have to stop and be like is this about ray rivera i was like yeah that is i'll say you know what i was thinking and or we'll watch a movie i'm like you know that could have happened we watched the trailer for the game we went back on youtube and found like old trailers of it and stuff and i was like that's actually you know watching that compared to the case that some of those that theory lines up and makes sense so i watched the youtube of the ending of the game the other day Mm -hmm. and i was like damn this movie holds up also, the, could Michael Douglas be any hotter? He was so sexy He's in the 90s. so hot. I he mean, just, the way he is talks, he still hot? I haven't looked at a picture in a long... I mean, he's I, married to Catherine Zeta-Jones, who is beyond hot. Yeah, so. he can get it. I mean, clearly he can yeah, get it. But the yeah. way he, like, in the suits that he always mm-hmm. wore, in the movies, and he has a very powerful way of talking. Yeah. And you're like, oh, damn. He commands attention. He and does. he got mine. That's for oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, this is part three, the conclusion of our three-part series. So if you haven't listened to the first two, it would behoove you to go back and do so because there's Make a lot. so much information in this that the theories and stuff that we're going to talk about in this one are going to make way more sense if you are all caught up. So it's a... Uh, Piecing it all together. He's, we're trying to. We're going to give you all the internet theories and maybe some mm-hmm. of our own. And um, then you can decide what you think. 
happen. Yeah, we come through the message board so you don't have to. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, you can go on Reddit and then have everyone tear you a new asshole because clearly you didn't oh, think yeah. of every single possible outcome of what you're my about favorite. to say. <laughs> you just be like, here... Hey, did anybody else notice this? And someone's like, just so you know, I'm a NASA scientist. And what you're saying is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You're like, Jesus, man, I was asking a question. Yeah, it is. It's not for the faint of heart. That's for sure. Hey, Mm -hmm. you know what? That's why it's anonymous. People get brave when they don't have to uh, say their real name or anything like that. For sure. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get into it. The discovery of Ray Rivera's body in the room known as the Old Racquetball Club at the Belvedere Hotel left both his family and authorities with more questions than answers. The 40-inch hole in the roof of the building meant he must have crashed through upon either jumping or falling from the much taller roof of the Belvedere. However, one major question was, if Ray was inside the Belvedere, how did he get to the restricted area of the building that would allow him roof access? Although it was intended to be difficult to access the roof, it certainly wasn't impossible, according to Makita Brotman, author of An Unexplained Death and resident of the Belvedere. Employees were known to often smoke on the roof and had even moved some old banquet chairs up there to make it more comfortable. I mean, you've you've worked at a place that there's a restricted area. Like I worked at Navy Pier and there were areas that it's like you cannot get there unless you're a part of the Coast Guard. I'm like, or unless you are a very brave worker after dark. <laughs> yeah. Like we, we climbed underneath the pier. I mean, there's um, there's tons of like cubbies and holes and back alley stairwells and stuff where you would think to the general public or if say you found somebody there, found a body there, they would be like, no one would ever have access to that. And it's like, well, if you work at a place, you figure out when the security guard's there, when they're not, how to sneak up there, if it's a great place to bang or to smoke. Also, or both. Smoke <laughs> while you bang. Time. Yeah. And one after the uh, other. If you've ever smoked, which I did for many years, on your smoke breaks, you want to be as far away from everyone as humanly possible. So if that mm-hmm. means going up to the roof of an 118-foot building that has no ledge around it and just sitting up there, like, first of all, I can't even, that makes me sweat just thinking about it. But Mm -hmm. yeah, you're going to do what you got to do to have some peace and quiet on your break. Well, and also I dated a guy whose dad was an engineer at one of the extra, ultra, ultra tall buildings in Chicago. And for funsies all the time, he would take us up to the roof. I mean, you're not, it's a condo building, so... In theory, none of the residents knew to get up there or could get up there, but he wasn't even the lead engineer. If he could get up there, I guarantee you 15, 20 other people knew how to get up there. Sure. There was no, there's no railing. There's no, No, I mean, there's no nothing. That's what, that's the kind of stuff that makes me panic. Just Mm -hmm. the no railing. There's just, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, uh, what is that building? Is it in Chicago where... You, it has the glass bottom. Yes. Mm-hmm. The Willis Tower. You can step out. <laughs> no, no, thank you. That makes me want to have a panic attack just thinking about it. What mm-hmm. if it gave way? Ugh. Yeah. It's like, they're like, it's engineered, structurally sound. It won't give way to anyone. And I'm like, I would be the one yeah. person that accidentally dropped my phone and it cracked the glass just so. And mm-hmm. I stepped on it and then I shoot down. Yes. Or I just step out there and it's like, <laughs> And everyone just panics. <laughs> and I'm like, like when oh. someone steps out on a, the frozen lake. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I would be the. I'd make front page news because mm-hmm. I'd had too many tacos <laughs> that day. <laughs> 
Well, strangely, the cameras on the roof of the Belvedere were disconnected that fateful night, and footage from inside the building was missing the clips from May 15th, the night Ray was in the building. Still, surely employees would have seen Ray, either alone or with others, heading up to the rooftop. Not so, says Brotman. She says there are frequent times when the concierge is not present at the front desk. Brotman also mentions in her book the lack of police canvassing or interviewing residents of the building. That would mean either there were no witnesses that night, or the witnesses were never interviewed by authorities. Could Ray, either alone or with company, have snuck up to the roof, having possibly been there as a regular at the bar, and made it through doors left unlocked by careless employees? And true, you just, as anybody, we're all human. Even if the concierge was there, if they drop something on the ground, bent over, they're under the desk, they don't see... They're on their phone, on the internet, in the bathroom. I mean, there's no, except for a camera, which would be turned on Mm -hmm. and not blink, there's always a chance for someone to blink. Yes. When you involve humans, the likelihood Mm -hmm. of error goes way up. Mm Mm-hmm. Perhaps more of a mystery than how Ray accessed the hotel rooftop was how he managed to crash where he did through the location of the roof of the old racquetball club. The foremost theory is that Ray jumped, fell, or was pushed off the highest point on the Belvedere building, the roof, located approximately 110 feet above. This would account for the velocity with which he tore through the roof of the conference center room below. Strengthening this theory, the autopsy report concluded that Ray died of multiple injuries sustained as a result of precipitation from a 13-story building. Yeah, those injuries are severe. The list is, I mean, we didn't even, the the full autopsy report's online, and we didn't even read the whole entire list, because at some point it starts getting excessive, but just lacerations and broken bones and torn parts. Broken pelvis, broken shins. I think his scrotum was torn. Torn. mm -hmm. Um, All sorts of stuff. Yeah, in our show notes, we have a link to the full autopsy report. I believe, I want to say off the top of my head, there's 26 injuries, but that that might be wrong. There might be even more. But it was mm-hmm. it was extensive. It's definitely not something that, as I don't believe, could have occurred from a 20-foot jump, such as Correct. the parking garage. Yeah. However, things still don't quite seem to add up. From the edge of the Belvedere rooftop to the 40-inch hole is a vertical 45 feet. Based on an engineering study obtained by the Washington Examiner, Ray would have had to be running approximately 11 miles per hour when he jumped off the roof in order to land where he did. While this is certainly not impossible for an athletic man such as Ray, he was wearing flip-flops that night, which could have seemingly impaired his ability to run that fast. The only thing I can think of is, so 11 miles an hour, so walking pace is about 20 minutes a mile, a 20-minute mile, so... I kind of, you know, try to do math behind, like, back from that, back it out. I mean, you would be running like a six-minute mile or a seven-minute mile. It's not unheard which, of. No, and I, you know, I know I am can never run that fast ever, but I have friends who are professional runners or really, really, really diehard runners that do run that fast. But the only thing, you would have to take the shoes off and be holding them in your hand. I don't know about that. I've gone back and forth. I think with enough adrenaline... Yeah, you're the body's capable of doing a lot of things. And his shoes were were, were messed up. They were ripped. I have just been like walking down the street and ripped the the thong out of a flip flop before. It's like running in them. Absolutely. I also all my flip flops, the toes of them are scuffed for me, just like tripping over my own feet and scuffing them on the ground. (laughs) I'm very clumsy. So 
I think the scuffing of the flip-flop, I think there's a couple details in this case that people are blowing up to be something bigger than they might really be. And I think the scuffing of the flip-flop is one of them because that's mm-hmm. something that could have already been there. Yeah, I, especially like the like you said, the toe, toe scuff because yeah. I myself am a sloppy walker and yes. my one good pair of uh, sandals that I wear... I buy one pair a year, and sometimes if they're on sale, I'll buy two, so that way I have a backup for the next year. But definitely right underneath your toe, it's mm-hmm. kind of scuffed. The only thing on these is the tearing of the inside. You know, it's yes. like torn off, which would have had to have happened at the time because he's not going to walk Absolutely. around in torn flip-flops. Yeah. But other than that, I think this the scuffing and the banged up on, like, what do you fancy people wear brand new shoes all yeah. the time? I mean, I wear disgusting scuffed up shoes all the time anyway, so. Yeah, I think the ripped part definitely happened. In my opinion, it happened while he was running. The rest of it is is whatever. And also, he was a water polo player and a coach. And so that's not unlikely that he would be in flip-flops a lot as somebody that that's just kind of their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. If you look at the diagrams and they show it on the Netflix episode of where the hole is in proportion to the edge of the roof where he would have jumped, Mm -hmm. it is very far out there. True. And also, I mean, for if uh, highly recommend you go look at a picture of the Belvedere if you're just listening, but it's kind of U-shaped. And then this small building is kind of a little bit outside of what the the scoop part of the U would be. So it's not like a direct, you know, you couldn't directly jump from the highest part that's like lined up with where the hole is. You would have to jump from like the corner of the adjacent part of the building. And so you're running 11 miles per hour at least to be able to take a full on running leap outwards Mm -hmm. to propel you 45 feet to crash through where he did. Mm -hmm. It's not impossible that's just you there's will involved or fear yes. or, or you know that's just not something you um you accidentally do like Correct. you just I don't think stumble off a... the edge of yeah he didn't just it fall was, exactly he didn't just not fall. a trip yeah he did not just fall and i don't think he could have just been pushed either because you can't to run and jump that far is possible to pick up someone and throw them that far I don't think that's possible. Uh, someone as big as him, for sure. Yeah, he was 6'5", 250 pounds. He was a big dude. Mm-hmm. One person who does not subscribe to this theory is Ray's brother, Angel. He told the examiner, When I had the courage, I went down to the parking lot and looked up at the top of the hotel and said, there is no way he could have landed that far out from the roof. However, there is a part of the building that juts out from the main tower of the Belvedere, according to the examiner. Angel told the examiner that several employees of the Belvedere confided in him that they believe Ray would have had to be pushed from that side of the building that can be accessed from another set of doors to the roof. And really, that's the only thing about that theory that I saw was just some employees and conjecture. Mm-hmm. And God bless his, the Rivera family. I can't imagine the type of pain they're going through. I imagine it's very hard to look at the scene of the crime and try and piece it all together and try and imagine your loved one would do something like this. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's, while I'm not saying that he doesn't, um, there's not something to be said for what Angel believes. I also think when Angel and Allison are like, there's no way he would have killed himself. 
That's hard for a family that's grieving to come to terms with. For anyone. No, No, you're right. I mean, you want to think that you knew someone, especially someone as close as a brother or as Mm -hmm. close as a spouse, so intimately that you would have seen signs. And it's almost a self-preservation feeling Mm -hmm. of, well, if I would have known, I would have tried to stop him or I would have tried to help him or, I, you know. So in your mind, to save your own heart, you have to kind of say, oh, well, there's this is impossible because, I mean, I... uh, we have, we'll get to the end of our theories, but I think from their perspective, that's definitely understandable to preserve your own sanity, basically, yeah. to say, no, 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 somebody else must have, an outside force of some kind did this. Yeah, I totally agree. While the theory that Ray may have been pushed or thrown from an extended section of the rooftop possibly answers some questions, the size of the hole itself doesn't seem to allow this as an option. The hole was approximately 40 inches in circumference, about the size of a manhole cover. This would indicate Ray went feet first through the roof. If he had been pushed or thrown, the chances of him landing on his feet are highly unlikely. Rather, he would have landed in a prone position, or possibly on his back, creating a much larger hole when he crashed to the roof. I think this is key. I think the only way that hole gets created, if his body created it, is... By him going like a pencil dive into a swimming pool. Feet Just down. Feet down, like straight up and down as much as he can. If otherwise, he's, like I said, 6'5", 250. If he'd been thrown and you're just flailing and then you just land on your side or your back, that's a human-sized hole that would have gone through that roof. And the injuries probably would have been a lot different. and Because he has the lacerations yeah. on his side that showed where he tore down through the roof. Yes, yeah. So I don't think he could have been pushed or thrown for... That's one of the reasons I don't think he could have been pushed or thrown. Another theory is that Ray jumped or fell from the ledge that wraps around the building at the 11th floor. However, author and resident of the Belvedere, Makita Brotman, believes this is unlikely. Access to those ledges would have required Ray to pass through someone's office or condominium. In addition, each window on the ledge was half the size of a traditional window and barely opened at all. Being as big as Ray was, it would have been extremely difficult for him to pass through. Yeah, especially there is a theory that indicates maybe he was in someone's condo or whatever. But again, it's all conjecture. But those windows are bitty. I mean, you would have to bust the window out. Yeah. Other theories posit that Ray did not jump or fall from the Belvedere itself, but rather from the adjacent parking garage. While this would explain why Ray was never seen in the actual building, The top of the parking garage is only 20 feet above the roof of the conference room. The severity of Ray's injuries indicate he would have had to have fallen from much higher up. I think I read that a story in a building is equivalent of roughly 10 feet. Mm -hmm. So 20 feet is two stories. If you jump off a two-story house, you could break a bone. You're going to hurt yourself. Unless you land a certain way, you're probably not going to die. And you're certainly not going to have the extent of the injuries that he did. And that's what the, you know, medical examiner for all the argument of whether she did or didn't talk about the shin breakage. But the the report says it's a precipitation from a 13 story fall Mm -hmm. because they can actually and there's an explanation uh, that I read that medical examiners can actually do the math on bone breakage and lacerations and things like that and say, like, this was had to have been at a force of X, you know, whatever PSI. And know that that's how the bone was broken, not from a trip and fall. Yeah. There's different grades of the fractures. Medical examiners are 
Man, that's a fascinating job. Just in the math alone and what you Mm -hmm. were able to tell from just looking at someone's body, it's Mm -hmm. it's impressive. And seeing previous bodies and comparing, say, mm-hmm. this is a tw- this is a two story fall. This is a twelve story fall. It's more like this yes, one. Yeah. Some redditors have proposed the theory that perhaps Ray was purposely struck by a car in the parking garage. This impact then propelled him the twenty horizontal feet that would have been necessary for his body to land where it did on the roof. While this would account for the broken shins that Allison claims the medical examiner determined were not consistent with the fall. The logistics of this don't quite add up. So the parking garage, the the floor of that is 20 feet up from the roof where he landed horizontally and 20 feet vertically from the spot, mm-hmm. which they also show in the Unsolved Mysteries thing and we'll post in the show notes too. I just want to give a visual. Visuals help yeah. me a lot. When I saw that, I was like, okay, this makes much more sense as to how they're saying this car could have propelled him to where he did. And it's not that far because it's where the co-workers could see, oh, there are his glasses, there's a wallet, yeah. there's a phone. So you could, it's not so far that you can't make out normal, ordinary objects. Right. Redditor The Oval Mask determined that a car would have had to have been going 35 miles per hour in order to propel Ray off the parking garage and through the roof. Other users were quick to point out the errors with this theory. Using Google Satellite, user Superbead determined that the parking structure only had four car lengths available for a car to accelerate, roughly 36 feet. For an average car to reach 35 miles per hour, hit a person, and then be able to stop before crashing through the four-foot retainer wall that encompassed the parking garage would be virtually impossible. I mean, Superbead out here doing the Lord's work. <laughs> there, <laughs> are, math. there are a lot of people on this thread. And, and the Oval Mask's defense is actually... That post, I think the that Redditor's sister, who is an engineer, did all this math. I was reading these things. They were linking to formulas. And I was like, thank God for Reddit. Because mm-hmm. I, even reading formulas, I have never been a math person. I always did terrible in math in school. It was, like, embarrassingly so. I was much more geared for the arts. <laughs> the arts. <laughs> reading. Paris found in one of those uh, viral math problems that, you know, people post on Facebook and they're like, I got 58. What do you think the answer is? And then people argue about it or whatever. And he was he gave it to me to solve and I solved it and then he solved it and then we were posting it. And it there it's basically a sloppily written problem. But my cousin is a state math champion. And so mm-hmm. I just texted it to him and I was like, what is the answer? And he told me and I'm like, whatever he says is right. So I think every family needs like that person. I'm like, you're the math guy. What's the deal with this? I don't know if my family has my brothers are both very smart. They would be the math guys. Tommy. No, he remembers stuff from school that I'm just like, mm-hmm. I don't know how you remember <laughs> that at all. I bet Tommy would know. He would, <laughs> he would know. Be like, he would know. This is, you have to use what's called PEMDAS. Please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. It's the order of operations. <laughs> You're like, all right. Oh, I would have had to Google that. T- what's the other one? Inner. Pie. There's another one that's like that, too. But now kids learn math different, don't they? Correct. Yeah. It's the common core where you add the big numbers together and then the small numbers together. I don't, whatever you just said, I still don't understand it. <laughs> and that was the simplest way it probably could have been explained. I don't get it. Uh, Ella's going to have to have tutors when she gets to that point. Or I'll be like, it doesn't <laughs> matter. You're never going to use. You're never going to use. What? I said, tell her to go on Reddit. Yeah, just go on Reddit. <laughs> Find you a tutor. I mean, 
how often do you have you when in your life other than a Facebook post have you used some formula endless? Please don't DM us. I know that people. No, I mean, if you're like a like a friend of mine is a science. She's a food scientist. I'm sure she uses formulas all the time. But like, I'm a lawyer. I don't use that shit. I don't. (laughs) I'm a podcaster. I do calculate. I would calculate damages for, you know, if there was like someone was going to sue someone, there's a way to like calculate your damages and stuff. And that was the one time like in law school was the last time I was. I I literally only use multiplication and division. Or yeah. In addition and uh, subtraction. Like I can't think of the last time. I used a formula, unless it was in Excel or something, and it does it for you. Like tips. I do tip math, like when you go to a restaurant. Oh, yeah. Well, that I just take the decimal, move it over one, and double it. Yep. yep. Same. <laughs> and even That's then, formula. sometimes if it's like 53, I'm like, what? Oh, shit. It's not an even number. <laughs> yeah, it's like 530. 530. Oh, so it'd be 1060, <laughs> but then I'm like, just, I'll just round it up to 11. Yeah, I'm like, my lack of math skills is your benefit, server. Thank you That's for true. your help. Yeah. Do you tip 20%? Yes. In COVID, I've been doing the $2 bump. So I'll just do 20, 20% and then just add, add two, bucks. two bucks. That's nice. Well, it also would have been nearly impossible for Ray's body to have cleared the low wall of the parking structure to make it on the roof. In most cases, when a person is hit by a car, the lower body is thrown forward and the upper body is thrown relative to the car. Their head then hits the hood or windshield before they fall to the ground. According to the website of Leppendorf and Silverstein, personal injury attorneys that specialize in car accidents. Also, according to Heather McKinney, who was hit by her mother's Dodge Caravan in a Red Lobster parking lot in Mesquite in the late 1990s. Was Nancy driving it? Oh, yeah. Was, <laughs> she was said, this intentional? <laughs> for sure. She goes, get out from in front of the car. I'm going to hit you. And I was like mocking her and she hit me with the car. And so I rolled up onto the hood. What? And, she hit you that hard? I mean, I didn't like go flying. I was able to land back on my feet. So she she bumped me. Oh, I said, it sounds this bad to crazy, say your mom. <laughs> it sounds bad to say your mom hit you with a car. She bumped me to teach me a lesson. My Pun- dad was b- bumped you pissed. hard enough to where you flew up on the car i rolled i did i rolled on i've rear-ended people less hard than that <laughs> you know like in the nba though when someone gets bumped and they flop on the ground to be or dramatic like soccer to get Correct. a card yes i was doing that to get sympathy for my dad who was standing on looking on horrified at the whole incident okay but- so she probably barely made contact and you just flew up on the car to make her feel bad Correct. I don't think there were like bruises left. I was just, I was a very dramatic child. Thankfully, I've grown out of that. I'm not dramatic. Yeah, at all. not at <laughs> all. <laughs> but I did kind of purposefully flop up. But it does, when it hits your legs, it like knocks your feet out from under you and your body, because of physics, there, look at, we're using physics. Your body wants to stay where it was. So then if the car's moving, your head stays where it is. And then it comes in contact with yeah. the windshield, which then, in, you know, yeah. engrosses on where your head was. The other option I learned from Leppendorf and Silverstein is if it's a large car, like a van or an 18-wheeler, typically you just get mowed down. Yeah, just Austin Power style. Yes, yeah. Well, there also would have been video cameras in the parking garage, making any involved car easily recognized, provided the cameras were actually working that night. Even then, the absence of blood in the parking garage and on the conference room roof does not support this theory. That's true. I think if he would, there would have been some kind of skid... From that, yes, I think angle. there would have been. If you're going 35 miles per hour, you hit someone and then you slam on the brakes to stop. There's going to be tire marks. There's going to be skids. Somebody's going to hear that. That's going to be a loud ass noise. Also, 
there's going to be blood. Mm-hmm. There's uh, not just in the parking garage, but splattered like over the roof and stuff from mm-hmm. where he flew. And if you, I've never hit a person, but I imagine it damages your car quite bad. So yeah. then if you're driving around the city with a crunched up car. With blood all over yeah, it. Yeah, then that's probably a kind of a red flag. So this theory, if if that, if the ledge was not around the parking garage, this theory would make more sense to me. But in order for someone to be able to just play that just right to where they hit him and he is flies up over this, doesn't hit like the ceiling of the parking garage or just slams into the wall or something. Seems like there would have to be a lot of factors involved for that to work. Also, why? That, yeah. That's my question uh, with a lot of these things is I'm like, that's so overcomplicated if you want to kill someone. And that I also think with this one, like, if you imagine the roof of the racquetball club as like a piece of saran wrap and the his trajectory angle of his body, like with a pencil, the way that the hole through it is like straight down. They described it straight down like a bullet hole is what Michael Bayer said. Mm-hmm. And if it came from this angle, it would be from a sideways yes. you know, angle that wouldn't wouldn't necessarily totally. be. Yeah, the same shape. Yeah, again, just like with being pushed or thrown, if you're hit by a car, you're just flying in the air. I imagine you're not going to have very much control over your body to be able to land how you would want to land. So it's not going to go through that hole the way it did. Plus, it's such a short distance, so you maybe wouldn't even react. Yeah. Well, there are speculations that Ray didn't come from the Belvedere at all. Instead, he may have been dropped from above by a helicopter. Investigative journalist Stephen Janis told Unsolved Mysteries. I know it sounds crazy, but this is the kind of case that makes you look at more strange theories. You got no real evidence. Given the hole and given that no one saw him enter the building, he had to come from somewhere else. This is a big theory on Reddit. We've had several listeners and Patreons email us. And sometimes the timestamps are at like 3 a.m. And they're like, you guys, (laughs) I just had a breakthrough. What if he was dropped from a helicopter? Has anyone else thought of this? And I'm like, a lot of people have. It's a it's a very interesting theory mm-hmm. and possibly would make sense if it weren't for the things we're about to discuss. Yeah, that's what we've gotten tons of um, Instagram comments and stuff. They're like, you haven't talked about the helicopter. I'm like, we will. <laughs> Without witnesses at the Belvedere to place Ray there that night, including two bartenders who knew Ray as a regular and didn't see him. There is a possibility that Ray was never in the building at all on May 15th. Gary Shivers, the former employee of the Belvedere who let officers into the conference room and discovered Ray's body, said that a helicopter is the only possible thing I could think of. Brotman, who lived in the Belvedere at the time and heard a crash, presumed to be Ray falling through the conference center roof on the night of his death, does not recall hearing a helicopter nearby. Though Shivers said that they would frequently hear helicopters a few blocks over, The sounds of a low, hovering helicopter would have been noticeable on a quiet weeknight, like the night Ray disappeared. Angel Rivera said that they even obtained flight records from that night, and there is no record of any aircraft in that area at that time. Two things. Flight records, uh, you really only file if you're flying instrument flight records. If you're flying visual visual flight rules, then you don't have to file anything, or if you just don't give a shit and don't think you're going to get caught. Then like you if you own anything. your own private helicopter? 
I mean, maybe. <laughs> uh, the only problem is that sometimes, and I would have to look at a map, but like Dallas, I know, has certain areas that are restricted airspace because, yeah. for instance, George Bush lives there or that's where Southwest flies its jets or whatever through to get to Love Field. So I imagine Baltimore, since it's got proximity to D.C. and there's probably important people abound, I bet there's probably like Alpha Bravo airspace. airspace but I mean, if you're going to take off really quick with a helicopter, lift up, drop somebody and go land again. I mean, it's possible that you would do that without getting in trouble by the authorities. However, Makita Brotman makes a ton of points that it was like dead quiet that night. Yeah. Like, so, and that's how she heard the crash because she said it just came out of nowhere. If you, we live in East Dallas. First of all, how do we get our houses on an Alpha Bravo list? Because Jesus, <laughs> if no helicopter ever flew over again, that's too, too early, too soon. I looked it up because we've had more jets fly over recently since I moved in. There's been an influx of Are you of on the list? Uh, no, it's the opposite. I think they don't <laughs> give a shit about us. Uh, and so once the right amendment was lifted and then they have now increased um, the traffic at uh, Love Field and they have mm. to take this flight, pla- this flight path over us. I was like, I did not sign up to be in goddamn it's airspace. And it's so loud. But we hear helicopters all the time and they are not hovering 15 feet out from the window from where we live they're up in the sky going around and they are so loud your next Mm -hmm. door blows up when it happens so if a helicopter was hovering close enough to drop him where they needed to drop him you could have looked out a window and seen it right there you absolutely would have heard it it probably would have been rattling your windows i mean you probably would have called the police on um it was Saturday night. We, uh, you know, every other week or so, we set up the projector in the backyard and just watch a movie or watch like what we were going to watch inside. And there was a helicopter hovering in your direction, but not quite as far as your house. But it would have been at least a half a mile from my house. It was so fucking loud. Yeah. It was so loud. And so if you're in a high rise building and they would have gone right there, I mean, it just, shoot, Makita Brotman would have heard it and other people in yeah, the building absolutely. would have heard it. Detective Byer also discounted this theory, citing airspace issues and the fact that someone would have heard the chopper. On the Unsolved Mysteries episode, Mystery on the Rooftop, Byer made another good point that negates this theory. You're not going to hover down in a helicopter that low. If he would have been dropped at an altitude higher than the building, who knows where he could have went? Byer goes on to say, If you already have a man in a helicopter and you want to dispose of the body... The harbor is a 30-second ride down. Why drop the body through a hotel roof? Exactly. Again, yeah. like, why would you overcomplicate this and risk being seen, being heard, all of that, when you could just uh, go down to the harbor and, and dump mm-hmm. it in there, where I'm sure if the wires taught me anything, there's a lot of bodies that get dumped in, <laughs> in that harbor. <laughs> but it just doesn't make sense why you would go to these links and that's so many of these theories i'm like why would someone go to the links to make this look like a suicide when there's way easier ways to stage a suicide than this then yeah and the someone asked well what if they were going to drop him in the harbor and then they accidentally dropped him sooner and he just happened to land there or he was fighting them and jumped out because they said we're going to take you to the harbor and kill you and it's like there's a million what ifs but the logistics of it are Detective Byer said, there's no way they flew over. The lady that lived there and heard the crash said, I did not hear a helicopter that night. And she wrote in her diary when she heard the body crash. So she probably also would have added in the diary, wow, I heard this helicopter sound and then a sudden crash. Yeah, definitely. And again, to 
drop someone alive or a lot of people think he was already dead and then they dropped him. Mm-hmm. The dead, if he was already dead and they dropped him, he definitely isn't going to land feet first. He's just, Correct. And, and who, and you know, again, like Byer says, how can you control where that person's going to land? If he was alive and dropped him, then possibly he could go feet first. But I think the fact that no one heard it, this just isn't a viable theory, in my opinion. And I think if he was already dead by the time they dropped him, he, it would have been more like a ragdoll, bigger hole, different hole, yeah. wouldn't have gone through kind of thing. Totally. Sinisterhood will be right back. Charlotte's Web is the world's most trusted hemp extract. And now you can use the code CREEPY for 15% off their entire selection of amazing products, excluding bulk products and bundles. You can choose from a selection of topical skincare products, gummies, and traditional oils, all made to support you day-to-day, moment-to-moment. My personal fave that I've used for years is the mint chocolate hemp oil. It helps me feel calm and just manages my everyday stresses, which there are a lot. (laughs) Understandable. Um, I love the CBD Medic Therapy eczema medicated ointment i suffer from eczema and as soon as i put it on i feel relief from the itching and it smells really good too uh and i also got the sleep gummies with melatonin they help me have sound quality sleep and regular sleeping cycles and they taste good and i basically am eating gummies before bed which i would have done anyway i eat gummies before bed too but they don't have all those great qualities. <laughs> exactly. They just made of- me question my life decisions. Exactly. Uh, all of Charlotte's Web products are free of eight major allergens, not tested on animals, gluten-free, and their topical products are formulated without synthetic fragrances, artificial colors or dyes, sulfates, or GMOs. Speaking of animals, Charlotte's Web even offers products to support your pets. My fur babies, Kate and Biddy, are enjoying the CBD chews for senior dogs, which are designed to enhance their brain function and support their central nervous system. A CBD routine is a simple way to ease some of life's day-to-day stresses. So try the world's most trusted hemp extract by going to charlottesweb.com and entering code CREEPY for 15% off. Hey, Heather. Y'all. I know you like true crime. I do so much. I think you like escape rooms. I have never lost one. I am 100% positive you love TV. More than probably a lot of people that I know. (laughs) Well, then you should start playing Hunt a Killer, which has been described as a true crime-themed escape room mixed with a TV show. It is. It's a true crime-inspired murder mystery box that's delivered right to your doorstep every month. Each six-box season is referred to as a season, and each box is an episode. And right now, you guys can receive 20% off your first box by visiting huntakiller.com and entering the code CREEPY. Each box is full of clues, documents, and evidence that will help develop the story and allow you to eliminate a suspect after each box. It's a super fun and unique way to spend date night or a game night with friends. You and your friends can each get a box and then hunt the killer together over Zoom. There is also an amazing and active online community that you will have access to where you can share your theories and help each other out to solve the case. If you love true crime, mystery, and having lots of fun, visit huntakiller.com today and enter code CREEPY to receive 20% off your first box. Happy hunting! Well, there are many pieces of evidence in this case, and they can each be combined in different ways to support various theories as to why Ray ended up in that conference room. Members of the Rivera family and close friends believe that Ray's death was the subject of foul play. His wife, Allison, told Unsolved Mysteries, I believe Ray was murdered. I believe that Ray had some kind of information. He may have stumbled on it. He maybe didn't know what he had stumbled on. What I can't get in my head, though, 
is what would that information be for somebody to kill him? Could Agora, the financial institution for whom Ray worked, have had a hand in it? Redditors speculate that may be a possibility. One Redditor, Bori Ono, points to another Agora employee, Tom Hickling, whose name was mentioned in the note Ray left behind. Tom had died a few months before Ray. The user claims, though Tom died in a car accident, he had suspicious injuries to the back of his head. Brotman mentions the Hickling connection in her book as well, saying that Hickling and Ray had become such good friends that Ray had spoken with his mother about Hickling. Ray's mother confirmed with Brotman that Ray and Hickling were close, telling the author, Ray liked him very much, and this guy died somewhere overseas. I don't remember where. All I remember is that it was a very weird situation in which he died, and Ray got very concerned. Further analysis of the note reveals mention of several more connections to Agora, including property ownership and multiple mentions of Agora employees, including Porter himself. These references, along with Allison's interaction with her memoir teacher, warning her of Agora, the deaths of William Kobe and Tom Hickling, and Ray's concern with working for the company, have led some online to believe Ray's death was somehow connected to the entity. There is a Redditor who's taken the note and identified all the names in the note mm-hmm. and has identified and then also some mentions of locations of property and has uh, basically cross-referenced it to either Agora or higher-ups or owners or whatever owning property in those locations. The caveat is, it's like the south of France. It's like, well, lots of people own stuff in the south. You know, like, it's a connection, yeah. but how much of a connection? It could be one of those things where it really does mean something or you're kind of forcing a connection or maybe there isn't one to support a theory or because it, your your brain just wants to make those connections. Agora and Porter Stansbury have both vehemently denied any involvement, and authorities have made no indication that either were the subject of investigation in connection with Ray's death. I think we said it in an earlier one, but like it's easy to point to them as the big bad wolf of he worked for a shadowy. It's almost like a movie. You know, you want to believe it because it sounds like it. But the question is, why would they do it? And if so, wouldn't there have been a leak by now? I I agree. I do think that Agora, by what I've read and researched, sounds like they could be kind of a shady company. So, you know, I I'm think not, your opinion, in, <laughs> in my opinion, <laughs> your opinion, I don't uh, think that um, and they seem to have several suspicious deaths linked to them. Mm-hmm. So I can see where people would draw a connection and possibly there is one for sure. But um, I don't know. I I think if they were involved, he would had to have either stumbled upon something or just outright known something that was just catastrophic to their company. And the one thing I could think of was he had filmed a bunch of, uh, you know, stuff for their, I guess, their investor conference. And that was the big video project he was working on. And I thought, oh, what if there was something in that? But eventually Allison was able to give the footage and they got it delivered, but it was way too late. And they had already given out refunds to the investors who had paid for the video. So then Allison was stuck footing the bill, which... Regardless of what anyone thinks their involvement is, what a bunch of assholes for making yeah. her pay for that. That's like, fucking rude. She's she paid hundreds of thousands of dollars in that was fucking race stuff. Yeah, it's terrible when you've got a billion dollar company. My other thing with this is again, there's much easier ways to kill someone for sure if you're just trying to get rid of somebody that knows something. 
Why I, tell them to meet you on the roof of the Belvedere Hotel and then, I don't know, pull a gun on them, causing them to run and jump off? Even in that case, I don't think someone that's scared of heights or just thinking in their rational mind would be like, there's a gun pointing at me. Better jump off this 118-foot building in order to survive. Mm-mm. I don't Ray think such what jacked. you do. Yeah, he was big and jacked. If somebody smaller or shorter than him pulled a gun on him, he would be able to take him, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's. I would rather get shot and try to survive that sure. than fall 118 stories or 118 feet. thousand percent. You're not surviving a 118-foot fall. There's a better chance you're going to survive a bullet wound, for sure. I think so. And we've seen enough movies that if you want to hire a hitman or, you know, go and kill somebody, make it look like a heart attack while they're sleeping. Make it look like, you know, run him off the road and be like, he was killed in a random hit and run. There was, if, if it's, if you have unlimited resources, why wouldn't you just take him out with a hitman, which you can get on the internet? And if the... The two attempted, alleged attempted break-ins to his house that week were possibly people from the company trying to get him to kill him. If that's, and again, this is just a theory. They clearly were like, okay, we're going to take the easy route here and just kill him in his home or something. But then it's like, well, that didn't work. Time for plan Z. The most (laughs) complicated way to kill someone of all. Like, it just doesn't seem like. That would be the next, the next solution. The, yeah, it's not the next logical step. I no. just think it would be a gross point blank. Like they're going to send someone in to drop liquid in his mouth or mm-hmm. shoot him with a silencer gun out a window or something. Yeah. You know, gross point blank. Such a good movie. God, I love that movie so That's, much. That might be my favorite John Cusack movie. Identity and gross point blank. Mine is High Fidelity and gross point blank. Oh, they're like High neck Fidelity's and neck. up there too. Yeah, neck and neck. God, I love him so much. Yeah, he's great. Oh, maybe he listens. Please, if you, <laughs> please, please. If, you, if, if I think if he did, he probably stopped a long time ago when he was like, <laughs> I feel like Heather may be stalking me. She's <laughs> like, he's like, I feel kind of gross about this. <laughs> well, Ray's brother Angel believes that his brother was killed for money. He has speculated that a disgruntled investor who used some advice from Ray's newsletter lost money, and took Ray's life in revenge. Could the phone call have been an angry former investor, asking Ray to meet him somewhere to settle their score? Again, the phone call came from the Agora switchboard, meaning the call came from within the company. Perhaps the investor contacted the company in order to get to Ray, or even showed up at the office. This is, again, I'm like... Why, if that's the case, why would it be like, meet me on the roof of the Belvedere? I just don't know, yeah. like, how anyone would have gotten him to that roof. Mm-hmm. And if, well, if it's like, he was forced up at gunpoint by a bunch of goons, and it's like, well, then somebody would have seen him. There, It wasn't like the, it was an abandoned building, and they took him to the top of an abandoned grain silo. It's right. a fully functional condominium building with bars that outsiders go to that's open to the public. So it's not unheard of for there to be people in the elevator you know that they would notice that yeah you'd think i mean but if he somehow he got to that roof and no one says that they did notice him so Mm -hmm. someone having a gun to your back or you just going up there solo somehow he went undetected Mm -hmm. the more people that are involved you would think the more likely it is that would be noticeable i don't know again it just seems like this is a you're you're overcomplicating things. Well, and you have, and you know, all the theories, you're like, okay, I need motive. I need 
evidence and then I need accessibility and you know this has motive there's yeah, not really any sure evidence motive. though and aside from the fact that Ray felt guilty about his bad stock tips that he didn't really know what he was doing but I don't think that you know for six weeks before he died he was getting emails from pissed off investor at AOL.com saying I'm gonna kill you I'm gonna right. you know there's not any indication that some pissed off person was like following him mm-hmm. The series still doesn't explain the mysterious note found taped to Ray's computer, but the letter could have been wholly unrelated and only found as a coincidence. As for Ray's brother, he believes the clues to learning what happened to his brother are located in the building where his body was found. Telling the Washington Examiner, the note is simply a red herring. So if it's a red herring, did someone place it there? Or is this just one of those details that really is innocuous? It seems weird and creepy, and but it really it really isn't even related. Yeah, like what if he wrote that note as a screenplay treatment, which yeah. I don't think it was. But say he did and was, you know, embarrassed of it or whatever and didn't want Allison to find it. And then, you know, even if he didn't fall in this, you know, pass away in this manner, but say he was in a car accident and the family said, no, there was no way this happened. We found this note. And it's like, well, is it related? You know, just because you happen to find a note that they wrote. Some, one of our Patreons made a good point and said, this was during the time when stuff like The Secret And Mm -hmm. all that kind of chaos magic was real big. And maybe he was writing down things he wanted to manifest and you keep it close to your workspace, you know, is like a way of like projecting that energy. And I thought that was really interesting because so many of the things were like, um, again, like we talked about the last episode, maybe just things that like, like one or two word things it would trigger your brain to think of something. But like one of them, I keep getting hung, hung up on the Invisalign because it's just such a it was so out of place mm-hmm. and so personal, but maybe that's something like, I want to be able to quit having to use my Invisalign or I need to be better about using it. As someone mm-hmm. who's used Invisalign, you got to leave those things in for like 22 hours a day. Yikes. Like, I want to be better about it or whatever. So I thought that was interesting. Someone else said a lot of people have actually speculated that they were um, passwords Oh, like okay. clues for different passwords. I don't know. That would be a ton of passwords. Perhaps some of the things on there were. It could have been an amalgamation of a lot of things. I think like, it's the, that makes sense. The secret. It's like a typed out vision board. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. And I mean, some of the stuff reads like he was going to say it to people. Other things read like they're just reminders of like a to-do list or something almost. So it could have been just like... These are all things that I'm that I'm thinking about. What's weird is that it wouldn't just be kept on your computer where you, you can go and edit it and update as needed, but that it's printed out, which is pretty finite. There weren't any mark throughs or anything that he'd mm-hmm. edited stuff. And then it's folded up real tiny and put in a plastic bag and ta- taped to the back of your laptop. Yeah, that's that's where it would be if it was a vision board. I would think it would be in front of you know somewhere where you could see it or you know an inspiration list it would be somewhere we could reference it however he was admittedly very into secret societies which that kind of isn't under the same vein of like the secret and chaos magic and maybe just like willing things to happen true maybe he wanted to join so bad that he thought well let me go ahead and write my speech yeah or what i would say in a speech or things i would want to mention if i got in trying to manifest it Maybe so. Could have also just been 
a manic episode. Going through something. Mm-hmm. Redditor Golden R16180 puts forth a cohesive theory that Ray's death was a result of a Freemason initiation gone wrong. This theory posits that the note Ray wrote was actually his initiation speech, with Porter serving as his sponsor, given that his name was repeatedly mentioned. The attached blank check from his company, Seba Productions, was meant to pay his initiation fee. During the call to Porter on the Sunday before his death, Ray said he had figured it all out. Was it the initiation ritual that he would be facing in the coming days? Perhaps, but Porter has said he had no idea what Ray meant by this statement. In the weeks leading up to his disappearance, Ray was uncharacteristically paranoid, according to his wife. But could the tripped alarms at the house have been nothing more than teasing by his future secret society brothers, testing his loyalty and increasing the fear as part of his initiation? While it's a possibility, there are certainly still holes in this theory. Allison said the terrified look in her husband's eyes when the alarms went off literally made her sick. If Ray had been trying to get accepted into a secret society, surely he would have known these scare tactics were all in good fun. However, his reaction seemed to be more in line with someone that feared for the safety of himself and his family. Unless he agreed to this and then he said, don't mess with my house, don't mess with my wife. And they're like, we'll mess with whoever we want. And that's why he wanted to follow her at the track and had the bat and was really worried. Like, oh, I've agreed and signed up for something and I didn't know it would go this far. This is a theory that to me is maybe the most exciting But like you said, the other one is like a movie, like being dropped from a helicopter. This to me is like something you would see in a movie. It just seems like the most complicated of all. This is, I think this one makes the most sense. I think it makes the most sense if you're wanting to write a screenplay about what could have happened to him. I have some edits though. I don't, I don't wholesale buy this one, but it's bit, my theory is based upon this. It has similar elements. I'm also one of those people that thinks um, most things are the simplest answer is usually the right one. Like very just what you think happened probably did. Well, and not just what I think happened, just... But, but I mean, what is the what's least the, frills? What's the, what's the most likely scenario mm-hmm. is how I usually look at things. Certain Freemason rituals are said to be performed at iconic buildings. Could the secret society have encouraged or even forced Ray to face his biggest fear? Heights, on top of the Belvedere. If so, did Ray react negatively? Perhaps blindfolded, Ray ran or jumped from the roof. There was also a chair found on the roof. Was Ray dragged to the edge, scuffing his flip-flops in the process, then ended up falling off the roof? This seems unlikely, as a fall from a chair would not have had the force to propel him 45 vertical feet to land where the hole was located. Falling out of a chair would also make it highly improbable for Ray to have landed feet first. Was Ray perhaps encouraged to jump to prove his loyalty to the society and mistakenly believed the pool below, now filled with concrete, was still functional and would provide a safe place for him to fall? Once Ray went over the edge, rather than call the authorities to report the incident, did the participants spring into action to cover their tracks? If so, this would have included deleting the security camera footage from the remainder of the building, paying off or threatening any witnesses, and placing Ray's belongings down beside the hole on the conference center roof. Some believe the Freemasons have strong ties to law enforcement. Did the secret society use its connections to pressure police into calling it all a suicide? When Detective Byer, who is not a member of the Freemasons, went poking around for more information, 
Was he reassigned by someone higher up? Again, while anything is certainly possible, this theory is one of the more complicated ones, with so many people having to be involved to make this work, from multiple Belvedere employees to dirty cops, it seems like the probability is high for someone to have come clean by now. Yeah, I think someone would have would have talked by now if this was the case. Like if they worked there and they stumbled upon like four guys walking off the roof going, nobody, dude, run, run. Yeah, or if, if, if they did this and then they had to go and get someone to get all the video footage they could pull it and pay off a bunch of people. Like this happened in 2006. I think by now, especially with the Netflix scene coming out, somebody would have talked. And then you've got to convince a bunch of cops who I'm not saying there aren't bad cops, but I would hope they'd be a little more ethical. Someone did message us in the other way. uh, Someone from Baltimore messaged us and said the Baltimore police force is incredibly corrupt. She said that they constantly have, uh, allegations of corruption and then actually like they're charged with like hiding evidence misleading the public so i mean is it a vast conspiracy is it incompetence is it i mean there's, there's but again of- how would you because you said in the one before this of a disgruntled investor getting him up to the roof how would a bunch of people in a secret society get him up to the roof without someone having seen that yeah that's a good uh, that would be the question of you know, were they waiting for hours? I mean, that seems crazy that they, you know, went up at 8 a.m. when no one was there or something. You know, again, that's when you get into the, well, what if this happened? Well, what if he was in the helicopter? What if the helicopter flew really hot? You know, so start getting too much what ifery. And I think that, again, my sticking point with this is no one in their rational mind is going to willingly jump off of that building unless they want to kill themselves Mm -hmm. or we're confused or under some kind of not clear thinking that's what i yeah i'm saying in in their rational mind if you're having a psychotic break you're on drugs something like that that's that's different but even if they said like prove your loyalty to us and jump off i can't imagine with him Having just got married, being in a in a loving relationship with his wife, having just planned a trip to New Mexico, they want to start a family. That he'd be like, "All right." Well, also, she said he wouldn't even climb the ladder to put Christmas lights up. Yeah, he was terrified of heights, so I just can't, I can't foresee any situation where he would have willingly, in his right mind, jumped off of that roof. Mm-hmm. Moreover, what would have been the secret society's motive for wanting Ray to end his life? The Freemasons are considered to be notorious do-gooders, whose primary purpose is charity work. Redditor Massachusetts, who happens to be a former Mason, commented on Golden R16180's post, saying, I was a Freemason, and although I like the idea of this perhaps as a movie script, there is no way in hell his death is even related. Freemasonry has secrets, sure, They have a history of being elite, sure. Most of the secrets are so esoteric, though, that you'd have to be studied in enlightenment thinking to even understand their value. To most people, they sound like silly stories. Long story short, the likelihood of this being the result of a Freemason degree, only the first is called initiation, is super duper low. Imagine your grandpa and his buddies arguing over a check at dinner. That's who would be doing this if it were the Masons. I read a lot about the Masons and a lot of Reddit posts from 
people whose like grandparents were in the Masons or dads were in the Masons or they were Masons. And while they're considered a secret society, and I guess if you're in a secret society, you're not going to say you're that it's not a secret society. But by all accounts, it's the most non-secret secret society there is. I mean, there's a book called Freemasons for Dummies. You can look up online all the rituals they have. People said, my brother was in the Freemasons and he would send me videos of their their rituals and their meetings and stuff. Like, it's not super secret. This guy, Massachusetts, which is a good name, by the way, said that um, most of the meetings are spent talking about, are you going to have Swedish meatballs or fish next month? <laughs> Like, or if you need to raise your dues by 10 bucks, it's basically kind of a glorified Elks Lodge. Yeah. So I don't think it's as secretive and nefarious as it's been painted to be. As a lot of people would think. I, I, I think this next paragraph explains a little bit more. Others believe the responsible secret society wasn't the Freemasons, but rather a sinister offshoot posing as a fraternal organization. However, if this is true, why would they have chosen such a public place to enact their evil plot, risking being seen or caught? More importantly, how would a smaller, less powerful faction have convinced law enforcement to look the other way with the investigation? I think it was a smaller, more powerful organization like the Illuminati. <laughs> you think this is the Illuminati? But something similar, not exactly. So why would they go to this trouble? That's like you always say, what's the motive? Like what, what is their motive? Uh, so I've, I talked to Paris about it cause he was in a fraternity and I'm like, why do you do all this stuff? And he said, a lot of times secret fraternal organizations or fraternity or something. He's like, it's a lot of acting and it's a lot of loyalty testing. So like they took, they would take their new recruits. They would kidnap them from their dorms or apartments, take them out to the forest, four of them and say, don't do not and separate them and say, don't call us until you found all five of each other. Well, of course there's only four of them. So the, they would find each other fairly quickly, but then they're all like, where's the fifth guy? Where's the fifth guy? And he's like, "That we knew there wasn't a fifth guy. The test was, how long will you stay out there? Are you going to just give up if we tell you one of your brothers is out here and you have to save him? Are you going to just call in 20 minutes and be like, we looked around, he's not here? Or are you going to stay until dawn and say, we looked over every inch of the forest and we couldn't find him? And he's like, you don't do it because it's you know, logical, you do it because you're testing someone's loyalty and you're acting these rituals out to make someone feel like they're now part of it and then they can enact a ritual. And I was like, wait to just tell me all your rituals. And he was like, it's something like fraternities do that. It's something you can Google. But I would think it would be show us your loyalty, prove your loyalty. Your biggest fear is heights. You told us this. We know this about you. We're going to take you to a building where maybe he was a regular there. Maybe they met him there. Maybe they met up with him there. But why saying, would they make him jump off the building? I don't think he was meant to jump off the building. I think he wanted it so bad that he was, they thought that he would turn around and go, I'm not going to do it. The reason I can't get behind that is he would have to have been running 11 miles per hour to jump off the building. And if you got to get a big running start to get up to that speed, at some point, someone in that organization could have tackled him or have. been like, Hey, guy, we're just joking. Yeah, should have stopped him. And that's what Makita Brotman did say. People all the time mistakenly believed that the pool was down there and still thought the pool was down there. I don't think. Do you think if you jump off a 118 foot building and land in a pool, you're going to survive? I don't think so. I think you crashing, die. crashing through a, uh, the roof of a building first. 
I don't think so, but I also don't want to join a secret society. I don't care. I don't think he would have risked his life and his life with Allison to to join a secret society that bad. I can't imagine like any would no matter how bad you wanted to join a secret society, would you be like, all right, I guess I'm going to kill myself and jump off this and leave everybody I love behind and hope that I survive, but I probably am not going to. Well, that's what the Crypto podcast, which is hosted by the Freemasons, the guys were saying they've seen cases where people want in so bad and they're like, it's really, you know, for we'll let you in. Like, it's not that, but they then are preyed upon by third parties who are not either say they're Masons or say we're better. We're even better than the Freemasons. We're even more powerful. And it would almost speak to a mental health issue where you either become so obsessed or so you believe that they're powerful. And if you don't do it, they're going to hurt you. Yeah. The only way this would make sense to me is if he was off also suffering a psychotic break and had undiagnosed mental problems and therefore was having delusions and thought he could survive that fall. Mm -hmm. Or they told him, we have a pool below and you'll land and thinking he's not really going to do it. Well, the police insist that Ray died by suicide. However, Ray's actions and behaviors leading up to the date of his death make his family believe that suicide was an unlikely explanation. The family had scheduled a trip to New Mexico. Ray and Allison planned to start a family and move back to Los Angeles. Ray had also rented out an editing studio for the following weekend in order to complete his project for the Agora subsidiary, the Oxford Club. Others believe that Ray did show signs of mental distress in the weeks leading up to his disappearance. Porter claimed that the Saturday before Ray's death, Allison told him that Ray was morose and would not get out of bed. But Allison does not recall this conversation. As his wife, she seemingly knew Ray best of all and maintains that he would never have taken his own life. Is she simply unable to face the truth of what happened, something often seen with grieving family members in the case of suicide? Or is she right in that Ray would have never willingly taken his own life? I don't think this is, uh, I don't think he was going up there with the intent on a, this type of, you know, right mind. It's time for me to end it. I'm going to go take a sprint running leap off a building. I don't think this was lucid suicide. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. I do think that... Um, if he was going to choose to end his life this way, that a running sprint would be how he might do it because you can't back out. True. And you want and, to make sure you clear the building. Yeah. Ledges. Well, and he was terrified of heights. So to stand at the edge and look down is one thing to True. run and be like, this is this is how it's happening. But I don't think he went up there with that intention. I think if he was wanting to end his life, there would have been easier ways for him to do that. Another possible explanation is that Ray was suffering from a delusion as a result of a mental break. In the FBI's analysis of the note, the Behavioral Analysis Unit concluded that the note was not suicidal, but the language used was indicative of a mental illness. Although Ray was never formally diagnosed, the FBI analyst writing the report addresses present symptoms of bipolar disorder. That's interesting because on Unsolved Mysteries, Allison mentions the FBI said that the note was not suicidal. And it wasn't until I read the FBI report and read Makita Brotman's book that I'm like, yeah, but the rest of the FBI report repeatedly says 
the sus- the subject's behavior we it said on there like the subject doesn't have any reason you know uh, to have he doesn't have enemies he doesn't have like outstanding debt it's not like oh i was about to go to jail for 50 years or whatever but they do mention that the language used in the note and the other behaviors point to and it mentions like actual descriptions of it in the dsm four or five or whatever one was out at the time but it it was an interesting omission from the unsolved mysteries episode i thought that's one of my issues with the episode as is a bunch of people's is that and i mean the the title of the show is unsolved mysteries so you want to give some um drama to it i suppose but the the possibility or the probability that this was mental mental health related is very skirted over almost like just kind of uh mentioned in passing and it's all these dramatic things of like was it the freemasons was it this sinister company blah 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 instead of ever really focusing on or and being able to therefore have a conversation about mental health Mm -hmm. that no sadly he was suffering from bipolar disorder or possibly something else and he was having a psychotic break and this is what happened so i do wish that they had gone over that a bit more and again to no fault of her own we any grieving family member, you're going to see what you want to see. You're going to believe what you want to believe. You know, if she doesn't want to believe that her husband was having these issues and everything. And like you said, like, because then you kind of start thinking, why didn't I see this? I could have prevented it. I could have helped him or something. Then those things are kind of easy to omit. Same with like the medical examiner thing. From what I've read, all it is, is is Allison saying the medical examiner told me the shins were not consistent. There hasn't been really anything. The medical examiner hasn't come out, come out and spoken on it or anything like that. And they said they make it a point not to speak on cases. They're like, I wrote my report. It's what I think is in the report. Also, I was watching Unexplained on Netflix about the brain and talking about memory. And they said your brain lights up the same when you're remembering as when you are imagining new things. And so they talked to a ton of people who were like around New York City on 9-11 and then tested their memory against logic and things. And it's like sometimes you you swear. I swear I was standing with the medical examiner and she closed the door and she said this to me. But honestly, and it's not lying at all because you put somebody on a lie detector test. They're like, no, this happened. I swear. But it's something that you maybe created to as a coping mechanism or something like that. Yeah. You want it so bad to be true that your brain kind of as a coping mechanism fills in those gaps. Yeah, but I think that's that's definitely um, purposeful omission on the part of Unsolved Mysteries. I think of storytelling that they didn't want to say. But later, literally the next sentence of the FBI analysis says probably it was this. Yeah, yeah. Ray was acting in a paranoid manner in the weeks leading up to his death. He accompanied his wife to her workouts, and Allison found him in the basement with a bat, with their home alarm systems blaring. Ray called Porter, saying he had figured it out, but Porter claimed he had no clue to what Ray was referring. Were these behaviors symptoms of a manic episode? Ray also seemed obsessed with the Freemasons, secret societies, and the movie The Game, making reference to a game repeatedly in his cryptic note. Did reality and fantasy blur for the young aspiring filmmaker? Did he, in fact, suffer from the Truman Show delusion 
and believe himself to be the star of his own game-like movie. This would explain the note, the running jump he would have had to take from the roof, as well as the paranoid actions in the weeks leading up to his death. Possibly in a manic episode, Ray believed himself to be invincible, or believed that he was required to jump off the roof to end the game. On either side of the hole in the conference room roof are two large glass skylights. At the end of the film, The Game, Michael Douglas jumps off the roof of a fancy hotel and crashes through a glass ceiling to an adjacent building below. Could Ray have been aiming for the skylights when he jumped, attempting to mimic the dramatic climax of the movie that inevitably ended the stressful game for Douglas? In a delusional state, did Ray think the attempted break-ins and threats to his wife were part of a sick game, and all of that would end if he risked it all? Again, Allison remains adamant that her husband would not have taken his own life. However, if Ray was suffering from a mental break and paranoid delusions that night, could that have led him up to the roof of the Belvedere and over the edge? So, I'm leaning more towards this theory, that he was having a psychotic episode, and that's what... Because, again, I can't, in my head, reconcile in in his in a right state of mind how he would have jumped off that building mm-hmm. so i think in my opinion only in some delusional state or a break from reality would he do that jump jumping in a way that intentional to be like landing i think maybe he was trying to land in one of those glass skylights or something mm-hmm. and just you know didn't didn't land there or whatever but he was jumping in a way where, like, perhaps the pool is below. I'm going to crash through. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll survive it. I'm a polo player, a water polo player and everything. So that's the only way I can reconcile that he would, as someone terrified of heights, would have gone up there and then done something like this. And I think there has to be some element of it, given the... FBI's analysis of the note. I don't mm-hmm. think that you can take, I don't think you can cherry pick their analysis. I don't think you can say, well, it wasn't a suicide note. They said so. And they also said in the next line that it was the suffering of some type of delusion. So yeah. I think you're, that I, I think I lean more towards he was obsessive and like so obsessed with wanting to join and maybe did have thought that that would solve his problems or, or maybe. You know, there wasn't anybody else up on the roof. And in his mind, it was, like you said, all part of a game or all part of an initiation, quote unquote, that there was no society to be initiated into because it didn't exist. Yeah. You know, and they said he met with the Freemason and the Freemason goes, yeah, these are normal questions. See you later, buddy. And he may be like, if he is delusional, say, yes, I will see you later on the top of the Belvedere. Today's the day. And who knows if someone calling from Agora said, hey, the check's in the mail. Mm-hmm. And then he goes, oh, that's it. They're they're telling me to come to the Belvedere because the check's in the mail. You know, today's or, the day. Or, again, I think the call, even though Terry Dunmuir says she thinks the call is the key to this and someone coming forward that made that call or knows about it is going to unlock this case, that's very well could be true. I also think it might be something kind of like – just a detail that's getting like, if he was suffering from a manic episode, it wasn't that really big of a deal, the call, and he made mm-hmm. it into a big deal. So it sounds because his reaction made it. But yeah, it could have been like, hey, where are you? We need you down here for this video shoot. You were supposed mm-hmm. to be here 20 minutes ago. Or hey, we want to call and check on the status of the videos. Do you think they're going to be done by next Monday? 
Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I could see the the Freemasons being involved in his mind. I don't think the Freemasons are a secret society were actually involved. I I do think that perhaps he thought he was involved in something that he really wasn't, and it was all in his mind, and that there was some sort of a game going on as an initiation process because he was suffering from mental illness, and that's what led him up there. And he did think, this will all end, or I'm going to get in if I... It's like the end of the game. If I prove myself. Yeah. Or, I mean, it really is. If you watch the end of the the game, yeah, it's, it is very similar to that. And he references the movie, the game, in the note. He makes a ton of references of, this was a great game we played. Congratulations to everyone on, on the game. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the fact, when you look at that roof and you see that there are two large glass skylights, pretty close on either side to where he landed. Yep. I think something could be said for that. I think that he may have thought he was being inducted into some sort of secret society and no one else was on that roof. It was all happening in his head, sadly. It's kind of him. it's I that's what that's what I think. I think there was somebody involved because that's why that's why the footage was cut from the security cameras. To me, that's an unfortunate like coincidence because I don't know how they would get access to that unless like someone else was also killed, which we have like to me, like in order for no one to talk about all of this and for something like that to work, they would have had to have taken out seemingly several other people. Either paid them or threatened them. Or I I don't think paying or threatening is going to shut someone up long enough. I think if they pay, you're going to continue to blackmail them, especially when this case has gotten as big as it is now. I think you mm-hmm. have to kill them. Yeah. To and, and, you know, maybe that did happen and it's just not news or whatever. But I don't know. Again, because the the note and the FBI said, like, this is very indicative from everything we've seen that this guy was suffering from mental illness. I think that that kind of makes the most sense. Yeah. I mean, he. I think we cannot discount the FBI's analysis no, of it. No, no. I mean, they're experts. <laughs> they're at this, you know, the, at taking someone's behavior and interpreting based on that. Mm-hmm. Co-creator of Unsolved Mysteries, Terry Dunmuir, said in an interview with Collider, We've produced over 1,300 mysteries, and I think the Ray Rivera case is one of the most mysterious we've ever profiled. Barring someone coming forward with information on Ray's case, the reality is his death will most likely remain an unsolved mystery. This is especially heart-wrenching for his family, who seeks some sort of closure to this nightmare. If you have any information regarding Ray's disappearance and or death, please visit unsolved.com and click on Submit Tip. And they will investigate your tips. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they investigate every single one of them. Well, we've covered a lot of what we think. Do you have any additions to add to what you think? No, I think uh, I can. I'll put for the Patreon subscribers. I'll put my theory matrix up, and we can all go over it <laughs> together. So, why do you think a secret society was involved, like an actual secret society? 
Yeah, I don't think it was the Freemasons. I will say that. As someone messaged on Instagram and went, my grandpa's a Freemason. And it's literally, it's like they said, it's like people arguing over meatballs. She's like, it's really yeah. nothing. No, I don't think it is. But why do you think an offshoot of a, like a sinister type of secret society was involved? Well, he received the phone call, which I would think would may, it may not have been Porter because Porter says they were all at a, a retreat. But it could be a coworker or someone or another um, another contractor or someone that works there with him. So you think whoever was in the secret society worked for Agora? Or could have, or like Ray did. Ray didn't technically work for Agora. He was a contract, you know, an outsourced contractor, but someone who had access to make the phone call. My question about that is why wouldn't they have just called him from their cell phone? Yeah, it is weird that it would come straight from there if you're trying to hide stuff. That's why I think the call may have just been because he was doing videos for them and had a video shoot scheduled for the following weekend that he'd booked space. I think the call was probably just like, uh, where are you? We need you or we you, we need where you to come it? reshoot this shot or something. Yeah, because he also had up on his computer the sunset and sunset times mm-hmm. for that day which I read a lot of um, videographers Mm -hmm. know so they can get the best shot and everything. So it may have been like, oh, uh, it's the sunset. The sun's about to set. I can get a great shot or something. Uh, Get a pickup or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the thing. I think because because it came through the switchboard, I think if it was a nefarious call, they would have gone to greater lengths to hide that information. That's true. Unless they knew that it couldn't be traced. But in that case, or it they had were to trying have, to frame Agora. But in that case, it would have had to have been someone that, like, had yeah, that either worked for Agora or did freelance for them or, or something like that. So that's why it's hard. I I just but also so go on. Why do you think the call aside? Why do you think that an actual sinister secret society was involved? Well, he showed up based on the call you know he went to the he didn't go to the agora he went to the belvedere someone deleted the footage the police were some for some reason really really pushing the suicide theory so who was pressuring them to push the suicide theory he had his note which was written out like a speech and he had his check that was ready for his initiation fee and re repeatedly mentioned what you were to assume is his sponsor. And despite the fact that Porter said, I had no idea what he was talking about, he called him to say, hey, man, I figured it all out. Plus, the people trying to break into his house. Allison said that the screen was askew. So I don't think Ray went outside of his house, walked around, yanked the screen off. The alarm went off. He went back upstairs and told Allison, oh, my God, the alarm's off. Because it went off two different times. One was the screen and one was he went in the basement. Yeah, I think if you're suffering a psychotic break that's not unlike that's not cr- like so that she wouldn't be woken up that he walked out because you I mean, he was you, already in the he was in the basement but i'm talking about he the window her. the screen getting yanked off and setting off the alarm how would you go outside without tripping the alarm you know go outside i guess maybe he, unless he tripped it when he left yanked off the screen and ran back inside and upstairs but i thought she said we were in bed and the alarm started going off from what I read, she ran downstairs and he was already down there. It was with two the bat nights in though. the basement. Yeah. I don't know. It just so do you think he was in his right state of mind? And you're also saying Porter was involved. 
Well, not in the initiation gone wrong, but possibly in the if he was his sponsor. But I think the the theory that does take the most boxes is that he made it all up. Because he was suffering from mental illness? Correct. He genuinely believed it. Maybe he genuinely yeah. believed they were all involved in something and he went too far down the, the rabbit hole and was actually, as the FBI said, suffering from some maybe bipolar, maybe an extreme form of that, maybe something else. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the secret society thing is exciting. For me personally, I think that he, he it was sadly in his head. It does tick all, you know, if you go through all the pieces of evidence, him willingly running off the roof, aside from, you know, his wife saying he would never take his own life, but willingly running off the roof thinking it would end the game or and get him into the secret society that he made up or whatever, that theory does tick off the note. It makes sense with the alarm going off if he set it off himself. It makes sense with the oh shit phone call that he misinterpreted somebody saying come down here as a trigger word. It, you know. Also, it's it would be weird if like these things weren't connected. But like your alarm going off and stuff again could just be a coincidence. Could have also happened to happen. Um, my only other thing that it doesn't explain is how his phone was intact and his glasses were intact and his flip-flops looked as if they were placed there and uh, were See, to me, the, fl- the flip-flops were 60 feet from the hole. So to me, that seems like they, flew off. they fell off his feet when he was falling. Like he ran so hard that they fell off and landed. Yeah, just in midair, they fell off his feet. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's like kicking around or something, I imagine, as you would do if you're you're falling. The glasses and stuff to me, aren't that weird because, like we talked about in the first episode, there's stuff in the 9-11 Museum from cell phones that were involved with that that were completely unscathed. Mm-hmm. Someone posted, too, that, um, was it Buddy Holly's phone? Or obviously not. They didn't yeah, have phones back then. Yeah, it was his razor. His, his, his glasses. You know, when they when they recovered his body from the plane crash, like, his glasses didn't have a scratch on them. Wow. And... Other people have said, um, especially those phones back then, because it was like an old school flip phone. They're just more durable. If they were on his person and he hits the hole and they fly off of his face, fly out of his pocket or whatever, they have way less further to fall than if they had fallen from the roof. True. Which is what I think happened. Yeah. Someone mentioned if they were yeah in his pocket and he was, they flew out. Actually, I read they were reading glasses. So he probably wouldn't have even had them on his face. So maybe like in the pocket and it flew yeah. out of the pocket. Yeah, I think that both of those things flew out when he hit the roof. I think his flip-flops flew off of his feet midair. And that's why they were so farther, so much further away from the hole. That would make sense. So well, Sherlock Holmes would agree with you. You would say this, the simplest theory is often, you know, once you start ticking off the boxes, that's the one that, that you need to go with. That's just kind of how my brain works. I think it's, I mean, obviously, it's exciting and interesting for people to come up with a ton of theories. There wouldn't be a show called Unsolved Mysteries that where people could take to the internet and come up with all this stuff if it wasn't. My only thing is, if this was mental health, that I hope that that doesn't just get brushed under the rug. 
because it, I mean, it was on the TV show that it should be addressed yeah. head on, and and yeah, yeah. Because to me, when stuff like that happens, not only are we missing an opportunity as a society to have a conversation about mental health, but it also, um, kind of just takes away from the what is the word I'm looking for. We dramatize and kind of romanticize this thing that happened instead of just kind of calling it what it is. But again, I wasn't there. This is just what I think. So uh, who's to say who's right and who's wrong? I, like Terry Dunmore said, this is the most mysterious case they've ever profiled. And I honestly think unless someone comes forward, that's the only way anybody's going to find out what happened. And I just don't understand how, with however many people live there, Nobody saw anything out their window. Nobody saw anything yeah. in the stairwell. That's that is unbelievable. Even yeah, even for him going up solo, mm-hmm. which would be the case in my theory. I it is still very odd that no one saw him. Yeah, and it's odd it, again. Like I said at the beginning of this episode, none of the things I thought about were were foolproof. Like, why were the cameras disconnected? Was it just something that happened, like we see happen a lot? This case kind of reminds me of Elisa Lamb. Oh, yeah. And with that, we kind of just, we we both concluded that, like, she was suffering from schizophrenia. I mean, she was she was known to suffer from schizophrenia and was having a, a break. And, you know, somehow she managed to get in that that water tower on the roof of the hotel. But I think... When you're having like a manic episode, you're capable of things you wouldn't even be capable of when you're in your right mind. And maybe acting outside your body or acting outside yeah. the norm. And yeah. So yeah. it's, I think you're right. It does, you do miss out, discounting the mental health aspect of it, you di- miss out on the opportunity for a discussion and also for other cases, like you said, Elisa Lamb, or just any other cases that may happen in the future or someone who says, man, my husband's been acting really paranoid recently or my wife's been acting, you know, extra tripping the alarm or going outside. Maybe I shouldn't. Yeah, I guess don't second guess your spouses, but try to find out what's wrong and discuss it with them. And say, Have a you know, conversation. Yeah. Why yeah. are you so worried? Oh, my God, a secret society. Honey, I don't, you're never going to believe this. A secret society is going to let me join. But they said they're going to kidnap me. And you may say, oh, OK, well, let's go talk to a doctor about that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Allison and the family said that he showed no, no weird, no signs of mental distress or anything in the weeks leading to his death. But at the same time, he's showing increased paranoia, doing things. he So those are signs of yeah. possible mental distress. And I think that you kind of just make excuses for that if it's not something that you really want to believe. But also, uh, she said that she you know, asked him because she could tell something was bothering him, like Mm -hmm. what's wrong? And he wouldn't, he wouldn't tell her. And if she, if he really did say to her or like he was morose and couldn't get out of bed, I mean, those are signs of possible depression or Mm -hmm. or other signs of mental health stuff. So if all of that is true, I think there were signs of mental distress going on in the weeks leading up to all of this and it is a little bit of cherry picking the evidence because you can't yeah. say he acted totally normal well except for he followed me to my workout and he had mm-hmm. a baseball bat and he did you know so it it's easy to try to externalize those i think and i'm not blam- I'm, listen i'm not blaming her whatsoever oh, hell, no. hell i want to no. go on record saying i do not blame this family for 
for maybe not wanting to see things that are there or or whatever. Like everyone gets through this kind of stuff the way they can get through it. So yeah, it's your own. The, there's no wrong way to grieve and cope no. and things like that. So I definitely can understand why you would you would think it was a theory like that. Yeah. So let us know what you guys think. This is a one that I'll probably continue thinking about, but I'm going to try and think about it less for my own sake. Go watch something bubblegum for the brain so you can have nice, happy dreams. Mm -hmm. Yes, I do have a new show I'm watching that I'll be talking about on my next mix bag. Excellent. We love providing Sinisterhood to you at no cost, so if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We are a small operation, creating the show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the costs of making and hosting the show. As a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those in the Ruling the Airwaves tier, a special shout-out on the show, a monthly bonus mini-sode, and Patreon-exclusive video and audio content, like our weekly mix bags, where we share three of our favorite things of the week. For more details on specific member tiers, visit Sinisterhood.com and click on Patreon in the top right corner to join today. And make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. And if you want some cool Sinisterhood swag, like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, Visit Sinisterhood.com and click on shop in the top right corner. The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. It means so much to us and really helps small podcasts like us get more exposure. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. Christy? I am on Twitter at Christy or GTFO and on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace. Heather? I am on... Instagram at Heather versus the world and on Twitter at MCK versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shout outs. Terry Engel. Phil and Shauna Bailey. Sarah. Sarah Dyer. Robin Carter. Miranda Hansen. Sarah with an H this time. James Perea. Amy Ostrow. Samantha. Sherry Cummins, Holly Hurlmeyer, Maya Gira, and Mindy Tolbert. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show, especially during these trying times. We really couldn't do this without you, and we sincerely appreciate it. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy. <laughs>